Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could turn your world upside down. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real crisis or a ripped from the headlines controversy. My crisis squad and I are here to find solutions. Our suggestions are meant to empower you to handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek professionals to help your specific need. Today, Crisis Squad member Steve Silton joins me. He's a business and entertainment attorney, used to helping clients get out or stay out of trouble. We're here to discuss the case file I call Divorcing Democracy. Lately, it feels like crisis is all around us, particularly as it relates to the country itself. Recently, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene called for a national divorce, literally dividing the nation into red states and blue states. Far-fetched? In the West, Idaho lawmakers are taking steps to engage Oregon's legislature in talks to let Idaho annex more than 60 percent of Oregon— The reason? Idaho and many Eastern Oregonians say Oregon's Democrat-controlled legislature doesn't represent the views of conservative Oregonians. A lot of this is just talk, but does talk eventually lead to some kind of action we could regret? Steve, how would this even happen legally? It's a complicated question. Texas and Alaska as two prime examples, have a long history of state independence movements, notably Todd Palin. Sarah Palin's husband was a very vocal member of the Alaskan independence movement, which got Sarah Palin somewhat in trouble in her vice presidential campaign along with John McCain. However, I do believe a lot of these kind of national divorce discussions now have a certain level of gravity. And I believe it relates to the Dobbs decision Because for the first time, literally since the Civil War, we have essentially a personal right, which is now being divvied up by state as opposed to nationally. And for people who aren't familiar, that is the abortion topic. Even with regard to issues like women's suffrage, that was a national movement. Obviously, slavery required an armed civil war to essentially vindicate that right. But in this case, we have the issue of abortion going back to the individual states. And you actually have some of these states are headed towards an armed or a semi-armed conflict with regard to their state laws. So let's break it up here. First of all, we'll talk about this whole idea of secession or annexing another state. I mean, it just seems far-fetched in that what, you know, what does Idaho have to say or Oregon have to say about this? You know, it wants to let Idaho annex. It just sounds like the state's rights right there on its own land. You start with that regardless of politics. Yeah. In modern times, with essentially the strong presidency, essentially a very, very strong federal government started in modern times, really with FDR accelerating through Nixon. And now that's what we expect. These individual state rights to us seem somewhat insignificant because they're really playing on the outer ranges of our rights. However, now that we've got essentially these very personal rights, that are essentially being determined at the state level, it is going to start mattering. These geographical boundaries may have some significance. And I'll give you a strong example. The governor of Mississippi has made it very clear that anyone who either gets or facilitates abortion is committing a capital crime. Whether it occurs in the state of Mississippi or not, 
that is a crime that is punishable by death under Mississippi law. And Mississippi executes a lot of people. And do you think that would actually be enforced? I mean, the governor can say that. The answer is it's certainly going to be enforced in the state of Mississippi. But what happens if a Mississippi resident goes to Illinois, which scarily is probably the closest state that provides that kind of health care and gets an abortion? which is entirely legal within that state, that resident comes back somehow through some type of investigations determined this doctor has facilitated it. Obviously, the woman is now subject to a crime. So is the doctor in Illinois. If the National Guard from Mississippi or their U.S. Marshals then go to Illinois to arrest that doctor for a capital crime, bringing him back to Mississippi to face capital charges, does the Illinois National Guard mobilize to fight Mississippi? Yeah, this just gets so into ridiculousity. I mean, it really does. I mean, the the expense, and, and again, I, I respect whatever our listeners' opinions are. I am pro-choice because I believe in the freedom that each of us has, no matter your gender, over your own body. And that is the only reason that I believe in pro-choice. If you are anti-choice, I'm okay with that. I don't need to fight you. I also do not think you need to go to jail. Rational minds need to win the day, Steve. You would think so. And I don't want to get into a large discussion of abortion rights in general because it's a very complicated, nuanced issue. I respect people on the other side. I also am pro-choice that have legitimate belief in that it is murder. My point is, is that this is a personal right, which is now being set up and determined by state, which is the first time this has happened in over millennium. It's certainly the first time it's happened under our strong presidency. In morally modern times, where we are in a more modern place, and the world is in a more modern place. I mean, I almost think we're pretty backward in the United States that this is what we're spending so much time and money on. It is creating a situation where boundaries are mattering. The state that you live in is impacting the rights that you have. And this isn't like small rights on whether you can gamble, right? This is a right to control, as you say, the autonomy of your own health care. So I don't see this as necessarily a national divorce. What I could see is some type of internal, and I'll call it Brexit, where essentially there's going to be referendums by certain states to essentially disconnect themselves in limited ways from the federal government. And there's going to be, for better or worse, a great deal of support for this within our own U.S. Constitution. If you look at the preamble of the Constitution, the rights that the federal government essentially is responsible for protecting is very limited. The number one is obviously, to provide for the common defense. And I don't think anyone would doubt that we want the feds doing that. We definitely want the that, feds that doing the that. federal government's going to do that. Right. And then, of course, it's to ensure domestic tranquility. Of course, nobody really knows what that is. Promote <laughs> the general welfare and secure the blessings of well, liberty. These are these platitudes are, are, that the framers set out there and they mostly make sense. But we didn't really pin them down back then. Correct. And listen, conservatives have been saying this for a long time when they want to essentially assert states' rights. And again, there is support in the Constitution that really the only thing in the preamble that has any significance is provide for a common defense. Well, Steve, I love that you're quoting, first of all, the Constitution, one of my favorite documents of all time, on the crisis files. What you laid out, though, is that the framers set up for very much a situation for strong states' rights. That's what they laid out. But remember, we didn't have 50 states and however other principalities we have now back then. 
Well, and states' rights was 99% support for states' rights was because southern states wanted to own people. They were very concerned the federal government was going to make that illegal. In fact, the only time the South ever had any issues with essentially creating a strong federal government was when their property, again, I hate talking about property in terms of, of people, were escaping to northern states. They wanted the federal government to step in and return their property. We can whitewash the Constitution all we want. The reality is a lot of this was very, very hard compromises related to some very, very immoral issues. And it is an evolution, right? We have definitely evolved as a nation. There are so many beautiful things about the American democratic experience that others have tried to copy. There are pieces of it that are also very dark. And what we hope is that rational minds of every era come together. And you said the word. They have to compromise. It is not an easy discussion. A hundred percent. I don't want to minimize American exceptionalism. I, I believe in the greatness of the American experiment and what we've accomplished in our relatively short history. Is Obviously, we're dealing with some very touchy subjects here. But I also think you have to talk about the reality of why states' rights were so heavily imbued into the original Constitution. And to a certain extent, those states' rights became less important after 1964 in particular the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which essentially made the kind of equality a federal issue. And it's essentially been a fairly peaceful 60 years. But it also depends on who you're talking about. Not every woman's going to say that. Not every black or brown woman's going to say that. But here's what I want to get into before we wind down, Steve, is this whole Congress. So Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, no matter where you fall with her or against her or whatever, She brings up this topic, which I'm glad we're talking about the Constitution, and that's why I love it when we get into this topic on the show. And I love it when our leaders, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, help us really get into and dissect what our country is supposed to be about. What really is the responsibility of a member of Congress when it comes to either stirring the pot or upholding the Constitution? Even though she may be from a specific state, Georgia, she is representing all of us, just like the Congress people from Illinois or California or Texas or Florida actually represent all of us. So what's your advice as a lawyer to the American people, to those listening, and we certainly hope we have Canadians listening too, but what is your advice to those in holding their representatives in government accountable when these different narratives start to really brew into possible dangerous situations? Well, I do think a lot of these issues are side issues, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is very good at bringing up these bizarre wedge issues. Though it's interesting she has tapped into an issue that I do believe has some significance. I do believe that the United States as a country needs to come to an understanding of what are limits of abortion rights, right? It might come through a national compromise in which the rights are less protected than they were under Roe, but are embodied in our federal government, which is going to very much upset a number of the red states as well as the blue states, but probably is necessary to ensure the very least our strong federal government. The divide between the red and the blue states isn't anything new, right? It's essentially on regional grounds, for the most part, northern states being blue and for the most part, southern states being red, though Marjorie Taylor Greene is probably in a blue state right now. These are ongoing issues that our country has continued to fight with, and we need to recognize them and we need to work through them. The United States of America has persevered, obviously, through many hard issues, and hopefully this is a challenge that we'll also get through. 
It's an experiment that continues. We're experimenting on many levels. And, you know, I also want to point out that even though these labels are there, red state, blue state, purple, whatever comes up, it's too much of a broad brush. So I hope everyone discerns and decides for themselves what they believe in, because I may live in a blue state. I am neither red nor blue. I mean, it really depends. Maybe I am purple, and, you know, purple is a power color, as I tell my executive clients. Uh, Maybe it is about what the issue is specifically, and you don't need to necessarily label yourself with one color or the other. As always, it is wonderful to have Crisis Squad member and business attorney Steve Silton with us. Thanks for your insight, Steve. Today's Crisis Brief is brought to you by Golf Public. Number one, don't get caught up in hot-button rhetoric. Try to engage people on what's behind any strong opinions. Number two, check your sources. Be careful whose bandwagon you align yourself and understand all consequences, legal and visual, for when you do choose to engage. Number three, compromise is necessary. We are talking about individual rights, a sacred concept in the United States. Reputation issues can arise quickly and unexpectedly. Prepare and plan before a crisis strikes with Goff Public, an award-winning public relations and public affairs agency. Your best defense is a crisis-ready culture that helps you spot potential issues, act swiftly, and reflects your brand's values while building trust with your audiences. Learn more at GoffPublic.com. Thank you to my podcast co-producers Tom Hamilton of Undertown Music and Kim Inslee. Catch up on all our case files. Go to thecrisisfiles.com for our archive plus special video elements. You can also subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow The Crisis Files on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.